Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and you are... Don Pigeon. And we are here today with a friend of the show, Rebecca Pritchard, and we're talking about the cost of a baby. So this is going to be a banger. I'm in for it. I'm strapped in because I'm having a heart attack already. Yeah. So Beck, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's a ripper of a topic. So I'm really excited to, to lay into it. Now, I do want to talk about our show partner, Sunsuper, and thank you to Sunsuper for getting behind the podcast. Uh, Sunsuper have a strong and competitive investment performance. I actually looked, John, uh, at the 30 June performance for the last, you know, one, three, five, seven years. Yep. And they do have a great track record. I did hear that. Yeah. And so I just on the whole super thing, and Beck, you could probably jump in here. Like, it's important to know when you're reviewing investment returns, because we're investing for more than five years for more than seven years to a point we don't really care what the last 12 months is in a return is so what would you say to that Beck? absolutely you know particularly we're talking to millennials here we are investing probably 20 to 60 years for some of our money we've got to think long term yeah so there's just a bit of a a, a trick when you are comparing returns of funds and as the, all the comment the commentary says don't yeah. base uh, past performance on future performance <laughs> future. unless you're talking about old Glennie James over here and John Pigeon. We've, we've got a pretty good track record. Oh, touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to Sunsuper for uh, supporting the podcast. You can go to sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. Beck, you've got a financial advice background. You're a financial advisor. And if anyone wants to check out Beck's uh, vibe, you can find her on Instagram at... RF Pritch. Uh, RF Pritch. There you go. Don't say that wrong. Don't say that wrong. Yeah. Now, just a bit of an update. We are, this episode, if you're listening to this on the Tuesday it's released, we are recording it on the Thursday before. So this is going up straight away. Hot. Yeah, we don't, we've yeah. been doing this a bit lately. Yeah, why? So, well, because just we've been so busy. <laughs> but what I'm going to do just quickly before we get into it is you might not know, uh, My Millennial Money isn't the only podcast that we do. We've got My Millennial Property, which John uh, steers that ship. We've got My Millennial Money Express, and I kind of just do face-to-cam, you know, 12-minute little powwows. We've got My Millennial Career, and Shell and M, they talk about all things careers, and they're putting together season two. So if you're after some inspiration with your career and Mm. and what you're what you're going through, there's a whole heap of good content there. Awesome stuff. Uh, there is also My Millennial Replay. So all the webinars that we do, you can jump onto the podcast yes. for the replay. So you can listen to the webinars, first home buyer, mortgage broker, uh, marketing for small business, getting yeah. more clients uh, that's on a podcast. 
And a lot of you might not know that we actually produce another podcast that's not money related, and that's called You To Me, You To You, You To Us. And it's a sexual health podcast. I don't get involved. No, and so that basically focuses on uh, sexual and reproductive health. So Mm. could tie into if you don't want a baby, um, (laughs) but we're about to talk about. uh, The cost of a baby might send you down to that podcast. Yeah, so if you you actually get a bit uh, freaked out about the cost that Beck spent and what she's going through with her first child, uh, you might want to listen to you to you, you to me, you to us. Yes. I might have said that around the wrong way. Glad you're saying uh, But you will learn about contraception, sexual health, and Hannah, the doctor, she is amazing. Cheers. On today's episode... Glenn and John chat with Rebecca Pritchard. Rebecca Pritchard. Rebecca Pritchard. Rebecca Pritchard, the mayoress of financial advice in Victoria. About the costs of having her first child. The costs of having a child will be different for everyone. So please understand Rebecca's story is exactly that, hers. Glenn forgot to organise Asha for this intro, so you're listening to me, Renell Richards. So you're listening to me, Daniel. M3 community member. Potsy, M3 community member. Emma, My Millennial Money podcast listener. Shay, M3 community member, long-time listener and first-time voiceover artist. Matt Hawkins from Hobart, M3 community member, podcast listener and all-round good guy. Okay, so Beck, uh, talk to us about your journey. You found out that you were pregnant and you can share whether it was planned or unplanned. That's probably after the fact here, but you found out you were pregnant. Tell us the journey and you thought like you've got a finance background. So was it like oh, this is going to be wild or like I'm going to actually use this as a data gathering exercise or I'm just interested anyway to see how much it would actually cost if we do this again. Talk to us about your logic behind uh, the stuff that you've tracked. Yeah, it was, it wasn't my original intention, but I knew maybe two or three months into the process that I was spending in different ways than I had expected. And so then I went back to my bank statements and started tracking everything down and made a conscious effort to track through the rest of the pregnancy because, I mean, I was fascinated by it. And as somebody who's spoken about this over a number of years and then to experience it myself, I thought, wow, this this is really going to the next level. Um, I didn't talk about, sorry, the, the pre- pregnancy journey itself. So I felt pregnant look relatively easily um, as far as, you know, the the spectrum goes in, in terms of conceiving. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't a successful pregnancy. And so when my husband and I went through quite the roller coaster early on from the, the highs of, of falling pregnant and then the gutting lows of, of loss um, and then the financial kick in the face that comes with having to pay for that. Mm, mm. So that was really un- unexpected and something that professionally as well over years of talking about family planning was definitely a gap in the conversations that I'd had with my clients. Um, and yeah. so that really hit me for six and really solidified it why I want to talk about this. And it just talks to any any subject about there's only so much theory you can take before you actually get some practicality in it and go through it yourself and you just you you come from a different angle don't you absolutely and 
you know, one of my biggest takeaways from the whole experience in, in the last 18 months is that there, there are certain frameworks that exist for the average person, but very few people are the average person. And so it's around then taking that that knowledge and tailoring it to what makes sense for you and your family. Yeah, and I just want to jump in there and say is, I guess, a public service announcement. It's just another example that the amount of people that we interact with through life, you just never know what somebody's actually going through. Like particularly being a, um, a, a gentleman like myself, and many other gentlemen that are listening, don't know why I'm saying gentlemen, but maybe because I'm being a bit serious. But, um, you know, as a male, I probably don't realise how many women have miscarriages and lose a child. Yeah. Where I bet could probably speak more so, like, as a woman, you're probably more aware of that in society itself. You're right, but it is a hugely um, unspoken topic and it's interesting you're talking about the reproductive health podcast that that you have because it's a taboo. It's a taboo to talk about sex. It's a taboo to talk about death. It's taboo to talk about money. And in this specific area, all three of them are so bloody relevant and need to be. They need to be on the table. Yeah, totally. And so it... Just being open about them, and the, the the statistics are about one in three pregnancies uh, end in loss. So, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, perhaps for another day. But it is worth considering that not all roads to starting a family happen perfectly, yeah, um, and certainly don't happen on the first try. And while while we're there, I guess uh, to give Hannah's podcast a plug, some of the topics that um, that we've got here is there's uh, an episode on the pill, episode on uh, marina, uh, contraception overview, endometriosis, uh, the nuva ring. Uh, so it, she covers a lot of the contraception if you don't want to start a family or have a child. Uh, and then she moves to some of the medical things like uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, HIV and syphilis, the implanom, genital herpes, the pelvic floor, permanent and surgical contraception part one, permanent and surgical contraception part two, uh, pain relief in labor part one, pain relief in labor part two. And <laughs> and I know that she's planning her second season, which talks, and I don't know if you've um, dealt with clients around this, Beck, but um, she's talking with a, a doctor who's in the whole IVF thing, but also freezing eggs. Mm. So that's going to be huge. Yeah, and I mean, what I'm hearing from all of that, Glenn, is that it's a massive topic. Totally, <laughs> that yeah. needs to it, we need to take the covers off. So yeah. I, I'm really excited to listen to season two. And you're right, Beck, about putting it on the table, just like money, just like sex, everything else. Like it, it's just taboo. It's under the carpet. And like we went through the experience of miscarriage with my sister-in-law, and, and when it came. It was a shock for her and the family, but it was a shock for us because, like, oh, I've never heard of that happening before. But you saying it's one in three, like, it's just, um, it, it should be spoken about, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think everyone can go through it in their own way and I'm at a place now that I can talk about it without bursting into tears um, and I I do feel, you know, a sense of responsibility actually to, to share and to campaign for a more open conversation about this so before we move on to the the money side of things my last kind of and it's i think it's it's 
it's great that we've ended up here in the conversation when, you know, 10 minutes ago we didn't even think we were talking about it. But, Beck, if you were to, because there are thousands and thousands of, um, of people listening, if there was a, a lady going through uh, a miscarriage at the moment or something like that, what would you say to her? To both women and to men because yeah. it's, it's something that impacts a family that you are not alone and there are resources available to help you. So to chat to your doctor, your GP, your obstetrician, to chat to your community and share what you're experiencing and reach out for help. Mm. Mm. And I would personally speak to the males in the situation because um, we we can't even imagine what the, the female goes through emotionally in that process. Like, yes, it's a joint, it's, a, it's occurred to both of us and and the family but it's happened to the female mm. it's a very different uh feeling and whole new set of emotions isn't it yeah and the, the f- emotion is one side of it but physical is is a very important part yeah. for women to experience and uh you know it speaks to my the the way that my pregnancy actually unfolded was completely driven by that experience at, at the get-go because it, it uncovered a bunch of issues that I just never thought I'd be anticipating, never anticipated experiencing mm. going through that. Mm. So you were planning a family and yep. you thought, well, let's get a, a family savings account happening. How cliche financial advisor can you get? I like, know. <laughs> When you make a major life decision, what do you do? You set up a bank account. Totally, <laughs> totally. So did you practice what you preach? Hell yeah, I did. And so, you know, my husband and I were investing for the children that we didn't have, you know, years before we actually were looking to start a family so that, you know, the money would be there at the right point in time. We had the bank account. We were, it was pretty close to being full to what we wanted by the time we, we fell pregnant. Um, and so, and we'd also upgraded our health insurance because we had decided we wanted to go down the private road and served our waiting periods. Um, so then, yeah, we were good to go. Mm, awesome. And how much did you have in your savings account um, when Bub arrived? By the time Bub arrived, we had about two grand. So we had nicely, walked, like, eroded balance over time. So we... We started with about 14000 and then realised a couple of months in that that wasn't going to cut the mustard and so we topped it up and over the course of falling pregnant the first time to a couple of weeks postpartum with, with my son, it was about $17,500. Yeah, wow. Right. Wow. So, Beck, you started with fourteen. By the time Bub's come along, you had two remaining. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So if you if you had your time again, like was that a shock as to how much you'd spent through that time prior to um, birth or not? It was a shock in the sense of when you actually add it up, you go, oh, my goodness, that's a lot of money. And particularly in my line of work, my brain can't help but go to all the places that I could spend 17 or 1000 on elsewhere. Yeah. Realistically, like my my partner and I were very diligent along the way, and very few things in there were f- frivolous or 
were not well considered. So even though it added up to a pretty chunky number, I stand by most of those decisions. Yeah, okay, because I suppose where I was going with that was if you did have your time again and someone's listening there thinking, well, how much do I factor in? Are we going on the cheap for 12 grand? Uh, Is that standard 12 grand? Is it high-end 12 grand? And one of the key determinants for working out what the number is for you, because it will be different for for you, whoever's listening today, one of the massive determinants is public versus private. Yeah. And and as a private patient, that contributed to probably a good $8,000 of both obstetrician and and scans. Right. So that's a huge chunk of that. And if you're going public, that, that comes out or is significantly reduced. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's like loud and clear that uh, you were in a good financial position, which means uh, you didn't have any consumer debt, I would assume, and it means instead of paying three or four hundred dollars a month on repayments of crap, you mm. were like, well, we can afford the luxury of doing things privately and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, 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 and and we'd planned for that, so we had allowed within that that money, we knew a massive chunk of it was going to. To those health expenses and we were comfortable with that that was a decision that we made keeping in mind i would also add because there, there's not really regulation on private uh the private road doctors can set their own prices and so yeah. i would say my private expenses were probably middle of the road yeah. uh, statistically you know the average expense is a bit lower in that sort of four to five thousand dollar bracket of out-of-pocket expenses but it can be as much as ten to twelve thousand dollars depending on your doctor, your hospital. Mm. Yeah, wow. So, I guess along the way, in terms of out-of-pocket costs, you know, like I think the the funnest thing when I look in it, because um, you're a first-time mother, uh, I think the funnest thing that when I look into those situations is you get to, you know, decorate the nursery and actually, and I don't know if it's this, uh, I don't know, <laughs> physiological, I can't even speak but this, <laughs> inside thing where I have to like have a nice place for my spawn or you want a nest a nest thank you yes thank you so nest is easier to say yeah thank you so what did you spend on the nest what did you do with the nest I was really specific about that and it's funny that I mean I'm I'm in my nest right now this is this is my room chair you can see the throat that's yeah the, the throw I actually already had but there was a few things that I really wanted like I, I had a color scheme in mind like I wanted some really nice sort of sheets for the cot I wanted some artwork I wanted some plants but I, did, I knew that that sort of stuff probably lasts so I was happy to spend money on that and then I went secondhand with pretty much all the furniture and so all in all I probably spent maybe a thousand dollars kidding out the room it's pretty good. Um, and, and, and it was really quite yeah. skewed, you know, like that 300 of that was on artwork yeah. um, and then 300 probably covered all the secondhand furniture. <laughs> comes comes back to your priorities and, and what you appreciate exactly. in life, doesn't it? Like, yeah, and you've got, you know you've got nine months to think about these things at least, but you've obviously prepared much longer than that. But, uh, again, highest values in your life you, you prioritise. And I think it's important to note as well, like when I, um, you know, I used to talk a lot about um, financially preparing for having a baby and people go, oh, you can never have a baby, you're a guy or, you know, you'll never know you haven't had a child. 
but I think I can talk to financially preparing for an event. Yeah. So whatever that event is, you need a framework to prepare for yeah. that event. And I would always say, uh, if it was building a house or buying a new car or going overseas or having a baby, yeah. it's still a significant event. The problem is the bloody baby, just the fees and the costs keep going up Continual. forever. Yeah. But I guess initially my unsolicited advice would be uh, if money is tight, I think you need to choose one premium item that's your thing if you're going to make the splurge. Yeah. So yeah. if- um, Can't have it all. It, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I Possibly think- Possibly a little bit like weddings. We have maybe an idea in our mind what it's going to look like and then the time rolls around and you go, oh, holy crap, that costs money and that costs money and that costs money and that costs money and you have to start making trade-offs. Yeah. The, the good thing about the event, as you call it, like whether it's birth or or wedding or honeymoon, running a marathon, there's a finite period that you can prepare for and it actually gives you greater motivation or reason to actually save mm. that money and put it aside. Whereas yeah. if you're just sort of dwindling through life with no real purpose, it, it can easily go by the wayside. I think the most productive times in my life have been the two days before I've had to fly overseas and get a lot of stuff done. Yeah. So it's like- <laughs> You've got deadlines, haven't This is deadline. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll share an example. Uh, good friends of the podcast, uh, Chris and Beth Gleason. Uh, they've just had twins, which is just another, I don't know how mm. people do it, but they do it. Um, and, you know, it was important for them to have a pram that had the obviously the two Double. babies, the doubles, <laughs> but also that they could easily unclick and click into the car. Yes. And so that was a real premium item that oh. I know the pram they were looking at, I think it was around $3,000, mm. but they got it on Gumtree for $1,000 secondhand. So it was still yeah. premium, but it was probably, if you, if you look at items in their journey, mm. it might have been the most expensive once-off cost. Yeah. So... I don't know. Yeah, and, and I want to backtrack a bit, and, and it might be going off topic touch, Beck, but the private versus public, like we've, we've got three kids. We've had three events. Um, we, <laughs> the, the, first, the first one was actually public system with midwife, um, and then the second was private. And, and I would argue, and my, my wife would back me up, that the second experience was a much better one. Um, have you got any – obviously, you've only got the one experience, but uh, what would you say to the listeners on that? We live in Australia. Most of your listeners are living in Australia, and it, there's an amazing public health system here. And for the vast majority of people, the public health system is fantastic. Mm. Uh, there's there's an element of preference uh, that may come in. Uh, some people have a, that preference towards continuity of care. Um, and maybe it's the length of stay. Perhaps it's a specific hospital that they would like to deliver in. Uh, for for myself, given my anxiety after experiencing a miscarriage, that continuity of care was very very important, and sure. I would I happily paid the premium to do so. But other people with different different backgrounds leading into it might be less fussed. Yeah. And in which case, t- paying five ten thousand dollars extra for that. If they don't value that experience, not it's not good money. Yeah. No, and and it it it's a luxury. Yeah. And like you said, like we live in Australia. Like my sister, her first child, Grace, went private. Yeah. Um, the second, when she had the twins, she actually 
went public. Yeah. Uh, because the twins, they they had twin to twin transfusion syndrome, so they were delivered at twenty six weeks, which is just wow. freaky. Uh, but I guess the underlying thing in Australia, if you are public, the level of care is still. Uh, like she was probably seeing the specialist that Beck was paying for anyway. Mm. So I, I don't think it's a, an issue of care, but it just goes back to those soft costs, Beck, of um, or the soft factors of I wanted this experience because of these reasons. Yeah, and that baseline is is so important to consider that we're not talking about, you know, oh, that means you get substandard care because it, it's the all, all the other factors. Yeah. yeah. So, so what you're basically saying in, in the total factoring of, of finances for that birth, maybe 60-odd percent of that was taken up by private health. Is that fair? Yep, health and the private health and health-related, like pregnancy-related costs. So I yeah. would say the, the overall expenses get split into two categories, being the pregnancy and my well-being and what I call startup capital yeah. <laughs> for the baby. <laughs> the that's project. The, that's the, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just like, and if you want to have a look at the blog, everyone, it's really cool. Like Beck has gone narrow and deep with costs. Like I've just pulled up uh, month How four. Month four <laughs> yeah, month four was a light cost. You, you know, you had a dermatologist at $245. Uh, month five, you did uh, some Pilates sessions, private sessions, $650. Had an ultrasound, 365 And you spent $8 at a pharmacy. Um, month six, starting to get a bit, uh, palpitations in my heart. Uh, the obstetrician cost was, you are. yeah, I am. Obstetrician was $2,000. Uh, and you bought a, a bassinet from marketplace for $80 and a cot mattress and, um, some change table from, uh, marketplace for $300. Yeah, and cool. I guess what that speaks to is, yes, you might be thinking, oh, Beck, she's so lucky she had the money. Mm. Well, she was still smart yeah. and she was still wise because she said private care is my one thing where for Chris and Beth, the one thing for them was maybe the good quality pram. Yeah. But you've been smart with your marketplace secondhand stuff. That's right. It wasn't just all straight to baby buntings or whatever it is to buy everything brand new and, and uh, look at me sort of thing, was it? Yeah. I think the nature of, of baby expenses even more so than when your family sort of grows into children more so than babies is a lot of the things that you use are very short-term in nature and so there's an incredible second uh secondary marketplace that exists for furniture prams clothing anything that you could poke a stick at there will be somebody who's selling it that has used it once not at all or a handful of times yeah and then you will pass on your your stuff to to friends or or on sell it. So it is really worth thinking. I think it's one of the best ways to actually yeah. save. So you money to spend on what you really value. Yeah, is and, a secondhand marketplace. And for those listening, like we may have overlooked one important thing. Um, what's Bub's name? How old is Bub now? <laughs> Uh, I, I was, there's probably a few things we've. Yeah, because we were height, weight, <laughs> location, latitude, longitude. <laughs> Time so of birth. My, my, my son is, he's nine months old now. His name is Jeffrey. Nice. Beautiful. I've got a Jeffrey. 
Never. Yeah. Jeffrey and James, the twins. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I thought you had kids. Nope, I'm thinking nope, nope. something I didn't know. Yeah, so plans You're the for... first person I've come across be under the age of like 40 yep. who knows a Jeff. Well, the, Wake the, up, the Jeff. thing was... Um, you want to say go to sleep, Jeff? My sister's husband, his dad's... Well, his name's Jeff. His dad's name's Jeff. So the two names, Jeffrey and James, run in their family. So our twins yeah. are Jeffrey and James. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there you a, go. Bit, a bit wild. Bit of trivia. Talk to us about. Uh, <laughs> are, you, are you having a second or third, Beck, or are you you done with one? You know, I'd I'd like to to go again at some point, God willing. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that first one, I find is is the, it's the grand final. It's the first one. It's special. It's there's a whole <laughs> 2017 premiership. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, oh, no, no disrespect to my last two, but the, like. The third one's born on the, in the laundry and you, you would go to work the next day. Yeah. No, it's not that bad. But I think it's, um, yeah, it's a big event, isn't it? And, um, and But the second time around hopefully is not as uh, stressful because you've been through the process once before. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting looking at how I spent money the first time and working out what would be required to go again and... A lot of it, because a lot of the expenses were skewed towards medical rather than the staff. It's probably still instead of seventeen and a half, it's probably about twelve that that would be required. But also, the, this experience has has taught me, and my work has taught me that nothing is a given. And so, actually, embedding enough financial buffer in there to deal with curveballs along the way, whether it's fertility issues. Uh, experiencing loss oh no it's my second pregnancy my back's lost the plot this time around Mm. um whatever it might be relationship counseling (laughs) um having extra fat in the buffer is going to be really important the next time around Yeah. yeah and i think like we all go through different stuff we've we will all have our one thing so uh, if it's like you said i i saw in your uh thing that you had pilates every couple of months well almost weekly by the looks of it, um, where someone else might not need that. So mm. maybe your thing was I've got to pay for this because of this issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so realistic. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, the one thing that I, I sort of ex- did experience and I do really advocate for is investing in, in your mental health through that process. Um, and it's not in this report because it happened postpartum, but I, I – put in a good couple of hundred dollars into some counselling to sort of debrief from from my experience and recognising that that was just as an important part of my recovery as, you know, looking after my pelvic floor or the stitches from my caesarean. Yeah. And, and like definitely in those early years of, um, of childhood, motherhood is such a selfless um, existence, isn't it? So you're giving to this... Uh, this other person in your life, so Cutting the life out of you. Yeah, so <laughs> to to lead in with some enjoyment and um, pamper yourself mentally or physically is really important, isn't it? Yeah, and but I look, I challenge that a little bit, John, because there's there's the pampering which I fully support, and I feel like that's almost the cliche of oh, you're pregnant, I'll get you a massage voucher. But there's also the survival element mm. when whether you're heavily pregnant or you've got a, a new bub at home around whether it's like food delivery or a women's health physio or 
things that you actually need to get by before you start considering those those real pampering yeah. things, which are also yeah, interesting. Mm. Well, there you go. You get Amy a uh, next time around. You get Amy some maybe <laughs> cook for once. <laughs> let's cut that comment short. There's no next time around. Okay. <laughs> Have you? Uh, were you a guest on Hannah's podcast under surgical contraception? Were you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have taken measures, Glenn. If you'd like to know, and everyone listening today, thank you. Um, yeah. So it's on your. Um, and I would encourage anyone interesting to. You know, if you want to have a look at Beck's blog and the link will be in the show notes, like she's detailed from like vitamins, from getting some mylanta at the pharmacy, uh, a rocking chair. Um, look, there is so much stuff here. Um, sheets, uh, reusable wipes. Uh, it's quite comprehensive. And I guess I would kind of think if we put our financial advisor hat on, or I'll put my ex-financial advisor hat on because I can't go around saying I'm a financial advisor because I'm not, but what would you say to people before they go down this journey in terms of their own personal finance to get in the best shape ready to go financially? There's a few things that I would say to people. Articulate what what the goal is. You know, yes, the goal is to have a family, but really what does that mean for you? And what does it mean from a health perspective? Perhaps what does it mean for you and your partner, your work, a whole host of factors there. But get your house in order. So that means clearing any crappy debt or significantly reducing it, having a cash buffer that's not your buffer for the baby, and then saving for this purpose. Because what we're talking about here is the money I spent pregnancy and, you know, within a couple of weeks postpartum. That doesn't factor in then the money that I had to utilise or my family had to utilise to fund a parental leave period. And it doesn't talk about then the cost of actually raising a child. So this is just actually one element of this. And so if this is your goal, that's fabulous, but you can't just go have sex and think that, like, we're done. Right, because Glenn, it just doesn't, it doesn't uh, work that way, even you. if you're lucky enough to conceive that way, which a lot of people aren't. So thinking about things, being diligent, means that then when you get to that point, you can have sex and it's fabulous. But we, we need to put in the work here. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really important point there, Beck. I think uh, that factoring in being on one or one and a half wages for 12 months, two years, sometimes longer is, uh, is is underrated, isn't it? And looking at your cost to exist and then saying, well, hang on a minute, we're actually losing money each month here. How, Where are we going to get this money from to survive? Yeah, and doing the numbers is so important so you can make a really informed decision, whether it's saying, okay, instead of taking uh, each of us taking six months off it's actually three months but then you can return part-time or it's all right I'm going to take these six months off work then you're going to take this three months off work because that takes advantage of your parental leave policy like whatever it is but you've got to do them you've got to do the numbers yeah yeah then I, I just put some stuff in the Facebook group before we jumped on um and just got anyone's questions or comments and Jessica um Rathamund if that's how I pronounce it, Jess, um, the biggest cost to her was the loss of income itself. Yeah. So I guess what I would, again, with my uh, strategic financial planning kind of hat on, I would probably say 
you know, there's a lot of people that have personal debt that are trying to clean up their mess. Mm. Um, my own view is, you know, if if you can get a, a bit of a plan together, make sure you're on a budget, you're, you're dialed in, maybe depending on your age and your medical factors, if you can say, look, we're going to be debt free in 18 months to two years, let's get our debt cleaned up, then we can fall pregnant. Mm. I'm thinking... If you're in a horrendous amount of debt and it can't be cleaned up within two years, well, obviously not going to put off a family for eight years. So what can you do on the debt scenario? And then I'd probably say as well, with like a lot of people use the Glenn James spending plan and they'll do their spending plan and then copy the spreadsheet, open another file or whatever they do, and then use that one as the target spreadsheet. Well, what, what does this look like if we did a budget post baby mm. with mum off work for two months, three months, and then back to, or whatever that looks like. Mm. And you can start to manipulate some numbers because if you are getting to the point where one will take a year or two off from the workforce, how can we start to live on one income as soon as possible? Yeah. yeah. Come, yeah. comes back to goals, doesn't it? I think like if it's not planned pregnancy, You've basically got less than twelve months to get your shit in order. <laughs> if if you have got some some goals ahead of you, and and sounds like you structured it pretty well, Beck, in the sense that you a fair way out, you started saving for this event, and by the time it it came along, you were ready. Um, but then post that period, talk to us about your work situation and and. Did you sit down with your husband and, and say, look, I want to go back to work in six months or nine months or I can work from home because I run my own business or like because oh, my feelings are that you only get that time once in your life. Um, so can we make it work that we spend 12 months at home with bubs um, and, and how does that look financially? Yeah, and it really speaks to the personal preferences of of the individuals and you you as an individual, as a couple and as a family, because they've all got slightly different dynamics. For for myself, my work's really important to me and I was really excited to to go back to work. So I returned to work at four when my little guy was four and a half months. Yeah. But I also said I would like to work part-time for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So instead of taking a year off being there all the time, I said I'm going to be here most of the time for for a while yeah so that's um, your balance and but it, part of that process also was really challenging some of the social norms and it there's probably a little bit of a chip on my shoulder around this but the, the social norms are woman takes 12 months off man takes a week or two weeks off and you know i really recommend for for listeners if they haven't already to read annabelle crab's minute work which really challenges the social and political systems around parental leave in in australia and in new zealand but yeah thinking about those dynamics and what's important and then doing the numbers to cross check it and go yeah how does this stack up um and that really contributed to to our decision making around this yeah cool yeah, just just because you gave birth doesn't mean you're the one that has to look after uh, in the first twelve months. Yeah, and I no, and say- and for a lot of families, it doesn't economically make sense no. because you know gone are the days where man earns all the money and you know that that doesn't happen for a lot of couples no. anymore. 
And so, but even if it did, if that's not what you want, um, let's ask the question around that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just encourage anyone that like, I love how you talked about those social norms. As far as my life goes with social norms, I don't give a crap. I'm doing what I want. Mm. And if anyone has a problem with it, well, good for them. But I'm doing this. And then that speaks to who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, if your parents um, or your friends are travel agents for guilt trips, well, you need to get some new friends. <laughs> I stole that from Dave Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Dave. Yeah. Um, but I so think like there's, there's, there's organic social pressure that uh, people put on themselves. Another one he says was um, oh, like, oh, my mother-in-law's a, a, uh, a test pilot for the broom factory or something like that. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, so <laughs> but I, I think it does speak to um, the positive uh, relationships in your, in your, in your life. Mm. Like you, you don't want to, uh, you don't want somebody, regardless of whether you're, expecting a child or not to be questioning your every decision because you're not doing it their way it's like it's stuff no 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 but no, um, and it, it does also speak glenn i think to how you want to raise your your child or your your family and like it or not money forms part of that conversation mm. and so you know it may like you said before if you're buried under a big pile of debt right now, you know, you may have wanted to have a child by 28, but if doing so means that you can't give that child what you want to, then is it not worth waiting a couple of years until you're in a stronger financial position? Mm, yeah. Or whether it's the house or the ability to give them education or whatever it is, or just the ability for one or both parents to be more present. Mm. Money flows through this conversation. We have to, we have to think about it. We have to talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's not just falling pregnant. It's not just giving birth. And it's not just that period before, you know, the, someone returns to work. It, carries on yeah, yeah it flows yeah. I, I want to go to the facebook group and just read some questions and comments um yeah kerry says don't waste money on two thousand dollar plans to keep up with the joneses and don't rely on any money from the government that's the, that's an interesting one as well because you know i know the family tax uh benefit i think the threshold is 80k for families so you know, if you are on a lower income, there might be some safety nets and catch-alls there. Uh, but can you, again, go, look, we're doing this and what we receive from the government is just a bonus and we're not taking it for granted, just from a, a mindset thing. Mm. Um, yeah, and, I mean, to share my experience with this, um, I I was a, I was able to qualify for um, the pay parental leave, but I actually returned to work before it, the money came through. Oh, wow. There was some Centrelink and blah, blah. Like I'm sure anyone who's ever interacted with Centrelink says, say no more, Rebecca. Um, but, yeah, so essentially I self-funded that entire period and then the payment just topped me back Go up. Back, so I think that's a really valid point. There are really great safety nets that exist through the Australian system, but you can't rely on them from a timing perspective. No. Yeah, and for those wondering, the uh, parental leave is currently five. Uh, sorry, seven hundred and fifty-three dollars and ninety cents 
per week before tax. And it's based on the weekly rate of the national minimum wage. Mm. So that goes uh, for 18 weeks and it basically can go directly to you or via your employer. And I'm just reading here, your partner may also be eligible for dad and partner pay, uh, which is basically a payment for up to two weeks. Uh, So income thresholds. I think that speaks a lot for the the work that the Australian system still needs to do. Yeah, that's right. Totally. It, it almost, and, and that's uh, the income thresholds are there, uh, 150K. And the good thing is, you know, the Services Australia websites, they've got, the one thing they are, they're really clear and easy to understand. I'll give the government mm. that. Uh, but I, I think to your point, Beck, like it should be we're paying X amount per family for this yeah. long, whether both of you go back to work full time or not. Like, who cares? Like, let's just help yeah anyway. like the the plasma tv bonus that used to be around <laughs> yeah so i'm just going to go back to facebook um yeah christy asks and we did cover it slightly but i just want to dig down a little bit deep um please talk about private health and pregnancy cover i'm so confused about this and it would be great to understand some more so i guess beck um if a private health insurance for you and your husband was $2,500 a year, I would imagine you could select pregnancy cover or not. And ha- like just off the top of your head, I've given you this without notice, like what are, what is the differences in having the pregnancy portion in the cover? Yeah, it's a really good question and there will be countless people out there that have private health insurance that aren't covered for Uh, pregnancy and so pregnancy is almost always the top tier of cover Um, and and that's also because you know not everyone needs it and not everyone needs it at all points in time Um, and so it is worth checking do you already have it Um, if you're getting it for 2500 in your example it's a absolute steal good for you yeah Um, I I think mine's closer to two grand for myself (laughs) yeah thinking that's cheap yeah you will have um you'll have waiting periods and it's generally 12 months but the 12 months is from when you install that cover to when you deliver your baby so it's not about pregnancy or conception it's actually around delivery so i generally say it is a you know good rule of thumb to wait at least four months between when you um, upgrade your cover and when you start trying just to factor in that baby might come early yeah um, or so- there could be some medical dramas or yeah. yeah that's a good tip that's a that's actually a really valid point that mm. 12 month waiting period and you can upgrade to shorten that yeah most insurers will have some provisions around like emergencies so if you have like an extreme premature baby yep. that's a different case um but yeah you would argue to to be on the the more conservative side but likewise to, if you were only on that level of hospital cover for the pregnancy services it was one of the first things i did after my son was born was downgrade my cover because i was and backdate it to the day yeah. that he was born because i was like i don't need is and it's you know it was about an extra two hundred dollars a month to upgrade the cover to get to that level. So mm. we talk about the cost of, lot, um, of of the private road before. It's not just that eight thousand dollars out of pocket. It's that increased cost every month along the way. Mm. Yeah, um, and and so it is it is a lever to to push and pull. Um, but then again, thinking if you're going to have subsequent children, make sure you've served those waiting periods. Um, again, but some some private health will include. Co- 
support for, say, IVF or fertility support. So, again, you might need to be on that for a longer period of time. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, another comment in the Facebook group from Amy Rankin, who she's got a podcast called Nourishing Amy, I believe it's called. She's a friend of the show and actually lives on the Central Coast. She's yeah. pregnant at the moment. She basically said, um, I have private health with pregnancy cover and they still say the average out-of-pocket cost still ends up, ends up being around 8.5K, which is exactly what um, which what Beck said. So It is, yeah. Um, again, uh, Can't be sneezed at. private health uh, is a luxury mm. and if you don't want to have it, that's totally fine. Yeah. Your child will still be taken care of and healthy. That's right. And... That's all good. I'm just going to read here. Uh, there was a comment here from Catherine Healy. No kids yet, but planning. We're currently practicing living off one wage so we can avoid as much shock as possible when her wage disappears, saving as much of my pay as possible to have a baby buffer. So that's that's a good point there as well, good, isn't it? Good to practice before you uh, have kids, isn't it? It is. Mm. And I would well, say- Well, and it meaning that they'll be able to be saving an absolute buffet load. Totally. Now and- happens yeah I, I want to talk as well like if you are um if you are planning to start a family i think it's so important to factor in uh your death disability and income protection insurances now into mm-hmm. the budget because it's just then one less thing to do once bub arrives and we want to make sure like i'm sure beck and her husband both have death cover on each other so if the worst case did happen to one of the uh parents the surviving parent could be a, a full-time parent debt-free for a number of years if they wanted to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is worth considering as well, particularly for women for income protection, uh, they get to a point where during pregnancy where a lot of insurers will say, look, you're heavily pregnant. Uh, we won't insure you right now. Come back when, once you've health, like, delivered your baby and gotten through that experience healthily. So it is worth considering um, that getting it organized sooner rather than later and whilst we're talking about being really prudent as well ladies gentlemen have a conversation with each other about super because if one person is taking an extended period of time out of the workforce or any period of time out of the workforce that has an impact on your super and then will compound over the rest of your life so you can have a conversation about how you can actually address that Mm. so that one member of the family which statistically is more often the mother doesn't get smacked in the face by um, in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah. yeah and some low-hanging fruit there. Uh, the one, it could be a a, a personal $1,000 contribution that would attract the government co-contribution of $500. Mm. So then that's $1,500 for that year. And then if the spouse puts $3,000 in, um, they will get the uh, $500 tax offset. Uh, but... There are thresholds, and we won't get into it now. But effectively, it works out if the um, you know if you put four thousand dollars into the super fund in one year, uh, the government will put five hundred dollars in of that money. The primary income earner at the time will get a tax offset. So it works out that the non-working spouse probably has you know four and a half grand put into super in that year, which might be the normal super contributions of a 50 60 grand income anyway mm, yeah so back does, to- that, hang on. does that sound about right to the financial advisor <laughs> well you'd- look those contribution schemes are important but also contribution splitting so totally uh, the 
conversation that I had with Mr. P was not, hey, honey, would you like to consider this? It was, hey, Split some this, of your is, contributions. The this yeah. is what we're doing um, because uh, there is, yeah, there, there, like I said, there's a pretty substantial implication of not just the length of time that I was out of work, but also that we as a family have committed that I won't work full time for a number of years. Yeah. That's massive. So just round off the um, loosely the contribution uh, splitting with your spouse? Uh, so in in the most simplistic way, it's you call dibs on some of the money that their employer is paying into their super fund um, and they can request to their super fund to say, hey, of that money coming in, I would like X percentage or X dollars of that to go to my spouse's account. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's we probably should do Spend some more. I wish time more on people that. talked about this. Oh, so I was just thinking that. Oh, I haven't heard of that for a while. Like it's it's not a common topic at all. Yeah, and it's an easy way if you don't have that spare, uh, you know, four thousand dollars floating around as well to yeah. contribute yourself to yeah. the lower income earners. So can I just um, no. butt in, uh, Beck? This there may be some listeners out there that are self-employed, uh, about, mm-hmm. about to enter this period of their life. Um, any any tips and tricks for them because obviously you well not obviously but usually they're trading time for money and if they don't turn up they don't get paid very different to a a wage as such from an employer um, how would you attack that look it's it's tough I wish that there was a really simple answer to that uh, you know I do have a number of uh, clients or, or or friends who are in this space who have also said it was one of the best things that happened to them because it forced them to get their business uh, to a point that it could trade without them. Yeah. Uh, but also going, if this is important to you, then we, we just have to find a way to, to work through it, whether that is winding things down for a period and then winding them back up. You know, maybe you aren't going to be back on the tools three weeks after your child is born because you need to just be present to keep things going. Yeah. Um, but it really speaks to that self-funded parental leave mm. and the importance of having cash there so that if the money is not coming in and you are not relying on any paid parental leave or any sort of paid scheme that you can self-fund it. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, Jenny makes a really great comment. Uh, comment, Jenny Bowridge or Bowdidge. Sorry, I'm really bad at reading. Uh, you don't need to buy half the things you think you need for a newborn. Uh, they really don't need that much. Secondhand is a great option to keep the cost low. Hiring items like a capsule. Biggest expense has been childcare, and now things like swimming lessons. Uh, and what we probably what we probably should do, Beck, is have another. We might even book in. And let's have a conversation with Beck in maybe six months' time. The, the journey of then, Beck. <laughs> yeah, and then the costs in another 12 months. And yeah. just to, um, um, let's just watch Jeffrey grow up and see I how was going to say the, totally. the journey of Beck and um, Jeff. Amy, Amy McMahon said, uh, also I've had two kids in the public system and didn't pay a cent. Uh, both times had a great experience and lovely midwives. Mm. Uh, good way to save thousands. And yes. that's just... Again, we don't want to be hear us loud and clear. And we're not saying everyone go and get private health. Mm. Um, I, I know doctors that will just um, go to public. So it's it again. Mm. It's what your situation is, what you would prefer. Um, Austin Powers once said, "I would like a toilet seat made out of gold," <laughs> but that's just not on the cards now, is it? So you know, maths comes into it. If you're in your eyeballs to death 
and you do want to start a family and it is going to be three or four years until you're out of debt and you can't wait, you, you, will, you will make do. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll be a great mm. parent. Um, but also... But these, these stories are important and I think it's so... It's so great and sometimes it can be confusing because you hear people say, I swear by private and then other people are like, I had the most amazing experience public and it can be confusing. But for me, it actually validates all the options that are on the table. Yeah. So whether it's, uh, you know, a private midwife, it's private hospital with an obstetrician, public, a home birth, a birthing centre, there are so many ways to bring your child into the world and they all work brilliantly for different families. Totally. Yeah. yeah you've, got, you've got to keep asking the right questions, don't you? And if, if there's ever a topic that all Australians are experts on, it's parenting, isn't it? You've always got the noise from the outside saying you should do this, you should do that. So if you can take little bits and pieces and then apply it to your own situation, good outcome. Yeah, and I actually also would, the final thing I'd add in there is for a lot of people it's risk management. <laughs> I know that sounds probably a bit um, clinical in, in such a warm, happy conversation as families. But like for me, I, I really love the idea of a home birth, but I am naturally quite risk averse and I can't overcome that idea of, but what if something yeah, goes wrong? If, and yeah. now that I had, I had to have an emergency cesarean, like there's no chance that I will go down that home birth road because mm. I can't shake that experience yeah. mm. um, and, and so it's a risk management decision of what you're comfortable with to how you how you choose to proceed yeah uh, Anthony Murdoch says we have a 15 month old changing to a single income was the most expensive part of it make sure we could um, we made sure we could live off my wage early and uh, jump in the Facebook group of everyone and just um, search a keyword uh, uh, cost of having your first child, search that keyword. But I, I will say it's like I can't stress enough just by reading these comments and dealing with, you know, hundreds of my previous clients that were going down this road, whatever situation in life, and we talked about the baby just being another goal or another mm. event, whatever situation you're in, if you are living week on week, eyeballs in debt um, and not having a good system in place, any event that you want to plan for or even unplanned events, they're going to be harder than if you were planned, if you were considered, yeah. if you did have your emergency fund, if you did have your spending plan, if you didn't use um, afterpay for the uh, the new lounge because now Freedom do afterpay. I'm just making that up. I don't know if they do, but they probably do. Mm. But um, I, think, I guess I might leave it there, Beck, but if – the group in Facebook or anyone, if you're listening to this episode, send us an Instagram message, uh, please. And what I might do is I might ask Beck if maybe we could organize maybe like a webinar one evening, Beck, and we can just do a Q&A about these costs just so we can really nail it in. Totally. Um, yeah, and so then important. I can do a webinar with Beck and we can just do a Q&A and Beck can answer questions mm, uh, yeah, because it is these topics, I know, like I listen to podcasts and so many times like I might listen to the Joe Rogan podcast and then this guy on there talking about guns in Australia and I was like, no, you got no freaking idea. You're not here. Like, So you're listening to this podcast going, yeah. Glenn and John and Beck, you got no idea because of this. It is more of a conversation yeah. and we probably can't do the conversation on a podcast, no. but perhaps if we did a live webinar where we could do some interactive questions yeah. and upvote, uh, that'd be that'd be most fun. 
for those who aren't watching on YouTube and just listening to us, Glenn's watching a video of himself. No, I'm not. Podcast. I've just got Facebook <laughs> open and there's a the welcome video there. He's on repeat. Um, so any final words, Beck? Having a family is and I don't, I'm not a fan of the word should, but it should be a really beautiful and wonderful time. Um, having a family is also incredibly stressful and nerve-wracking and full of anxiety. And if you can remove financial worry or financial stress from that equation, there is more than enough things to worry about when it comes to bringing your first child in, into the world. So if you can be diligent, if you can be forward thinking, you can be organised, it is possible to cruise through pregnancy and bring your child into the world without worrying about money. Great. That's great advice and it just speaks to every event that we ever go through in, in life, isn't it, whether it be weddings, honeymoons, funerals, births, like um, the the financial stress compounded with everything else that you're going through at that at that, that time just compounds the whole experience, doesn't it? Um, do you have any other final comments before we go to that was it? Oh, that was it. Yeah. Good. I was going to say. I was going to say, but I thought I'd be polite. Yeah. I guess my final comments are from a practicality point of view. Uh, speak to your financial advisor. Do a clarity call with John, and just it might be like okay during this twelve-month uh, window, uh, mum or dad, whoever it is wants to stay at home full time, mm. that's all good. Can we be strategic? Can we just, and I, I don't want to slap every sacred cow. Um, <laughs> I don't mind being strategic temporarily. So I'll just say that first. So temporarily, if you've got a plan, can we just put the mortgage repayments to interest only for 12 months? Can we just um, not contribute extra to super for the first 12 months? Yeah, you've just got purpose. Can we put this on minimum or cut down? And I, I say that with caution because we have to be strategic and have a plan. So in 12 months' time, we have to turn those things back on. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not a headline on the Daily Telegraph saying Glenn doesn't subscribe to yeah, Super yeah. <laughs> or, or, or interest-only loans or whatever, but... It's just having that purpose for that period of time yeah, so to get yourself through. You can be strategic, but it's not forever. And that's why I'm cautioned to say that. It's like, oh, don't worry about your super. No, no, it's very important. Mm. But if the cash flow means that we want a short-term trade-off yeah. of staying at home longer and we know that we will go back to work and we know this will actually get back to... yeah. So, And it could be like chat to your financial advisor. It could be... Uh, if you're paying for death cover in your own name, well, maybe that can go in the super fund to then the super fund can claim it on tax and it frees up cash flow. Mm. Um, and that's why it's so important to be engaged with a a third party who's in your corner who you can bounce stuff off to keep you accountable. Totally. Is that a fair comment, Beck, or are you going to crucify me? There is no crucifixion going on here. Yes. It's being, being organised. You know, my husband and I, We've, we feel weird right now that we haven't been investing or saving anywhere near as much as we used to. And in some regards, things just got turned off. But we recognise that this is a season. Yeah. This is not what our life looks like indefinitely. We've done the hard work prior to this period of our lives that we can now do this and it's okay. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, Beck, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. We will try and see if the group, because there's been in the short couple of minutes that I put the Facebook post up, there was over a hundred comments. So there is so much in there. So I think we can really help the community. Uh, you can find Beck on Instagram at RF Pritch or at rebeccapritchard.com.au. Thanks for having no me. No worries. We'll be in Thanks, touch. Beck. See you. Bye. All right. You asked for it. I didn't want to do it, but you asked for it. You kept saying week after week, Asher, you got to tell the people. And I said, okay, fine. Give me that 10 grand pay rise and I'll do it. It is the My Millennial Money Community Member of the Week. Okay, Monique, you are up. Monique, Community Member of the Week. Uh, Monique is 33, lives in the Gong. And for those not near the Gong, that's Wollongong. Wollongong. Uh, she's a part-time admin officer slash part-time stay-at-home mum. So she would have probably had a few things to comment about that episode. Yes. Um, the financial goal is saving for a family holiday holiday to the US. <laughs> holiday. She's got another three years to, she, to save. Well, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> so we've, we've pushed that like target out of it and um, and contributing more to super. So well that's that's pretty good. So awesome. all, all I would say the financial goal on the super thing, um, how can you put that goal into action so instead of this arrival of we're saving money to put super, we get to the goal. I would like to get to the goal where I can put $50 a week in or $20 or whatever that mm. is. So rather than, yeah, but I'm sure yeah. she means that. Cool. Um, she's achieving this goal oh, and I should read before I talk, but she's sticking to an allocated <laughs> weekly uh, amounts to spend and she is salary sacrificing. Yeah. So maybe she wants to turn that up more. Uh, so that's that's awesome. And the silliest money mistake that Monique has made, uh, probably not making the most of our pre-kids full-time incomes and investing in our 20s. Mm, that's so common, huh? Yeah. So common. And if you can just speak to your 40-year-old self when you're 20, just get it done now. Yeah, love that. All right, everyone, thanks for uh, hanging around. A bit of a longer episode today, but I hope that encouraged you. I will try and see if there is enough groundswell to do a, a maybe expecting our first baby and money mm. uh, live webinar with Beck because I think I think these topics do need more of a, a campfire chat yeah. rather than three people just chatting and talking at people. Yeah. Uh, so, again, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, thanks for staying around. If you're a new listener... Uh, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you to Nate in the studio here. Thanks, And mate. we'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. This podcast supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you want some other giving options, or if you are unsure about which charity you can support, head to the lifeyoucansave.org.au If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. 
Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join Sunsuper online in under five minutes. Thanks to Jess Knaus, producer, Nathan Robertson, editor, and me, Asha. Anyway, make sure you're connected via Instagram and our free Facebook group. We also film most of our content now, so check out My Millennial Money on YouTube. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.